BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. There's this neighborhood in Berkeley. And forgive me for my lack of Berkeley knowledge, but is this like the fancy part of Berkeley? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fancy, I'd say so. It's the neighborhood that's helped define California cuisine. And for decades, it's been known as the gourmet ghetto. So, yeah. There's no seating inside. We're already, standing outside We're in standing line. outside <laughs> at 11 a.m. right when they opened, and there's already three people ahead of us. The controversy over the nickname Gourmet Ghetto was raised by a new coffee shop owner. Some neighbors get why the word is a problem, and others don't. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. This is the epicenter of the Gourmet Ghetto, what people call the Gourmet Ghetto, Walnut and Vine. Sarah Hahn is editor of NOSH. It's the food section of the new site, Berkeley Side. She met me and producer Angela Corral in the neighborhood. We're standing across from Pete's Coffee, and that's the original Pete's Coffee. That's where Alfred Pete opened his coffee shop um, in 1966, and that was the first business that people consider part of the Gourmet Ghetto. Maybe three doors down is where the cheese board first opened as a cheese shop. And then the third business that's part of the three holy trinity of the gourmet ghetto is Chez Panisse, which is on Shattuck around the corner. And that's Alice Waters, obviously, that opened that. Okay. Do you know when the, the term gourmet ghetto was coined? Um, we don't really know exactly who coined it and exactly when it was coined, but it probably was around the 1970s, the early 1970s. So there are three theories about who might have coined it, but the person who's most likely responsible for coming up with the name is a comedian who also worked at the Cheese Board at the time in the 1970s. His name was Daryl Enriquez, and he um, was part of a lot of comedy troops. He was in this East Bay Comedy Sharks. He was also um, a member of the San Francisco Mime Troupe. And he kind of had this like sarcastic sense of humor. And he liked to poke fun at the pretentiousness of this food movement that was bubbling up at the time. Pete's cheese board, Chez Panisse. And then in 1973, this new business um, from a former Chez Panisse chef opened a charcuterie shop called Pig by the Tail. And so when that opened, he was kind of like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. Um, and he, he coined this phrase, gourmet ghetto, which was always problematic, I think, even at that time. And he knew he was being kind of provocative by using that. 
Since then, the name Gourmet Ghetto has been used to promote the neighborhood. Realtors have used it, the local business association put the name on banners, and people have come to know the area as Gourmet Ghetto. It even comes up as a location on Google Maps. Can we, like, take a little walking tour and tell me what stuff is? If you haven't been to the cheese board, you should go to the cheese board. Salzelli. I do a, a latte. Their lamb sandwich is the thing. And you can get a steak and, like, a salad or some greens. Love it first bite, cupcakery. And a glass of red wine. Giant glass display of cheese. Okay, you get the pastries are open then. You can get your Birkenstocks and dance goes here. So a lot of people think that gourmet is an outdated word. And Alice Waters, you know, she said that she felt like it also was an exclusive term. People who are described as gourmets are people who are of a certain socioeconomic background that maybe travel to Europe or, you know, um, just eat certain fancy foods all the time. And so she felt like that was not right to describe the neighborhood. In terms of the word ghetto, I mean, it's, it's always been associated with segregating a group of people. And after World War II, um, ghetto has been associated as a pejorative way to talk about African-American culture. I mean, it has a really quaint feel to it. You know, it's, it's very neighborhoody, and um, a lot of people who grew up here have this affection for this neighborhood. What's the actual neighborhood called? North Berkeley, I think, is what people agree on calling it. Got it. Angela, since you live in Berkeley, and Sarah, since you write for Berkeley side, how do people use the, the name now, Gourmet Ghetto? I don't know if people who live here really use it. I mean, I would only use it sarcastically, I'm sure, or if I was describing to somebody from out of town where something is. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the sentiment I heard from people I talked to. Um, no one really who lives here calls it gourmet ghetto. Um, and even, you know, I went to Cal and I don't remember calling it the gourmet ghetto, but at the same time, people understand that reference. But we're walking at the intersection of Shattuck and Cedar where Wrecking Ball Coffee is. Um, this is the second location of the coffee roaster and it is a business that's co-owned by Nick Cho and his wife, Trish Rothgeb. Trish actually is the one who people uh, credit with coining the, the word or the phrase third wave coffee. And then Nick, he, Well, what's that mean? Third wave coffee, it's, well, if you think of uh, coffee, the timeline of coffee, first wave is kind of like Folgers and, and canned coffee, and then Pete's, Starbucks, the second wave third wave is the artisanal coffee movement that came after it. Single origin beans, you know, sourcing from sustainable farmers and stuff like that. I also think it's the coffee and coffee shops that people associate with gentrification. That's true. And it's pricey. So I know Nick is very like aware of that. Yes. So for him, it's about recalibrating how we think of coffee and who can drink coffee. So in a lot of people's eyes, coffee culture is very white, white-focused, white-centric. The people who can afford it are white, or you know, of a so of a specific higher socioeconomic class. I mean, so it's ironic to me that he puts his coffee shop in a neighborhood that is statistically zero percent black. Has he talked about how he wants to create this inclusive space? 
Well, he admits that it's not just going to start with this one, that it's going to have to be multiple coffee shops doing the same thing, having the same message for it to really matter and make a difference. But you know, one of the things that he points out is this mural that he has inside. And the mural is of a young African-American woman who's wearing a traditional Korean dress. You can't help but look at it. You can't. It's very big. It's very striking. It's beautiful. And so he feels that it's going to provoke conversation, rather. And um, he said that a lot of people have come in who are African-American. In one instance, it was a couple of twins who were Black and Korean who felt like they were finally represented and they felt welcome there. So when Wrecking Ball Coffee was about to open, Nick Cho contacted me to interview him. And I had done a little research and, and read about his coffee movement uh, mission. And I thought about, you know, he's in this area called the Gourmet Ghetto that seems like he'd probably have an opinion about it. He's very opinionated. And so I went in and, and we talked about it. And, and one of the first things he said was, as soon as I get settled in, I'm going to lobby the city to change the name Gourmet Ghetto. Or actually, he said Gourmet G. Well, I was going to say, like, even, like, when I was emailing you about doing this story, like, I put Gourmet Ghetto in quotes, and I wasn't sure, like, how to really talk about it, because I didn't want to keep perpetuating something that was problematic. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've thought about after writing about it, you know? Like, I think I've used the the name Gourmet Ghetto in writing just because it is like shorthand for a lot of people for this area. Um, But it's made me think like, is this offending people? So when you put out your story, I noticed there's a lot of comments on the Berkeley side website. So what were people saying about it? Well, it was really split. Um, some people felt like, hey, this is, this is the name that we came up with. We should own it. You know, it, they, there's like a point of pride around it. Let's just keep it. And then there's, there were a lot of people who actually came out and said, you know, I have been uncomfortable with the name for many years and now is the time to do it because there is this movement towards being more inclusive. Same thing across the nation. They're knocking down old Civil War statues, the Confederate flag. Some people are starting to realize that it's not okay to, you know, that that represents a terrible thing for many people. And this would just be, you know, the Berkeley version of that. There's no Civil War statues in Berkeley. Think about this story as yet another learning moment. That's how Sarah thinks about it. She says that some readers are coming out and saying, you know, I never thought about the context of this word. This is true even for people like Nick Cho, who admits to having used the word himself before. He said that he regrets using that word. He he feels like it was wrong and that he would not use that word now, that he's learned from that and that he's grown from that. Well, I feel like that's what some of the comments we're hearing about this story Like, you were saying how some people were like, I never knew that this was problematic, and now that I do, I'm not going to use it. Or It it is a thing that everyone probably has a moment in their life when they've realized they've said something like that and are embarrassed about it. Um, And so, I mean, I think it's about admitting that you said it and that you know why it's wrong and then not using it anymore. The North Shattuck Association held a meeting last Thursday to talk about why it won't use the name going forward. 
This means that it'll take down banners around the neighborhood with the brand on them. And no more using the name for promotional purposes going forward. Sarah was at this meeting and she said that it got pretty intense because there are many people who don't think that this name is a problem. Sarah Hahn is editor of NOSH. It's the food section of the new site, Berkeleyside. Check out her stories at berkeleyside.com. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 